Super Talk Mississippi media production. Kickstart your adventure now with a new Gud Golf Cart from Country Carts of Brookhaven. Gud Golf Carts are assembled right here in Mississippi with the best features around. And best of all, they're street legal. Country Carts of Brookhaven, 401 Highway 51 South, phone 601-748-0454. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone. Meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi Minute. That's right. Welcome to the Mississippi Minute, folks. I'm Steve Azar. Hey, hey. So many cool, wonderful things to do right here in our great state. Go to visitmississippi.org. Trust me, awesome. Right there in your backyard, in our front yard. Well, all right. Today's guest, a native of Greenville, Mississippi, my hometown, before returning, spent nine years in the Navy. He began work as a reporter for the Delta Democrat Times and later advanced to city editor and eventually managing editor. In 2008, he migrated to television, joining the staff at XVT. It's now Cox Broadcasting. As mergers can happen sometimes, just like back in my day with Mercury Records, MCA, we merged into uh, Universal. It's just sort of the deal, and that's how it rolls. An author, his first published book, Delta Blue, which I'm staring at, an actor in theater, really good, and now playing a significant role in my son's Strax feature film, The Banality. Can't wait to discuss that, how that all went down and what the experience was like. He's multi-talented, he's very, very bright, and he's just a good guy. So let's bring him on to the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. We call him Woody. His folks named him Woodrow Wilkins. Hello, Woody. Good morning, Steve. How you doing? I'm good, pal. Where are you? Tell me you're at a bar somewhere just relaxing. Not this time of day. Come on. What kind of reputation are you trying to get? <laughs> I don't, you know, I always make the joke, no matter, maybe I just never go out, but when, and I, or maybe, maybe I'm on the road a lot, but every time I go somewhere, there you are. It's very interesting. Well, we don't, yeah. Well, yeah, well, you know, I don't get out that much either, but it does seem a little odd that when you do get out, there you are. <laughs> touche, touche. All right, Woody, let's, I want to go back to growing up in Greenville, first of all. Um, you know, what was it like as a kid? What did your folks do before you joined the Navy? Sort of take me back to your wonder years. Oh, well, uh, and they were wonder years indeed. Um, uh, my earliest memory, we had a, a little house on uh, North Cately Street, which is just a block off of Broadway. Uh, we stayed there a few years, then we moved to Gloucester, which intersects with Broadway between Nelson and Union. Mm-hmm. And so I grew up in that neighborhood, not too many blocks, maybe a quarter of a mile, maybe a little bit over a quarter of a mile from uh, where Mary Wilson grew up, Mary Wilson of the Supremes. Now, I didn't know her. She was long gone by the time I even knew who she was. But I think my oldest sister knew her. Um, 
so we were in that neighborhood, and everything was all right. We didn't have any major problems. Of course, uh, economically speaking, it was poverty, but it wasn't dirty or, you know, crime infested or anything like that. It was just a nice place to live. Um, we stayed there until I was about eight, nine years old, and then we moved out to East College Street, which is between Frisbee Park and Coleman Middle School. Right. And that's where we stayed until I uh, finished school. Um, and uh, I joined the service because uh, I really couldn't make up my mind. You talk about being a person of many talents. I didn't really know what they all were, and I wasn't sure what I wanted. So I thought a safe bet for me would be to just go ahead and join the military and see, find out what I'm good at uh, and use that, use that opportunity to develop some skills and figure out where I want to go uh, while getting paid. How did it help you realize what you'd maybe be passionate about and do for the rest of your life? Did it open your eyes to a possible future? Well, it, it was actually kind of awkward because uh, actually I think ultimately what I decided I wanted to do was right, but uh, I just really didn't have, because I didn't follow the path that I should have coming out of high school. I didn't take advantage of the career counselors at school. Um, and, and so I really didn't know that's what I would ultimately want to do. I do recall as a child, every now and then, uh, pretending to be a news anchor. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things that you do as children. You, you role play, right? Right. And I would, and I would get the uh, day's copy of the Democrat Times and just sit in my room and read it like I'm uh, Walter Cronkite or somebody. Wow. Uh, but I wasn't thinking that that's what I wanted to do in the future. It was just something that I did to kill time. Uh, but I think as a high school senior, it was the first time I actually read a book because I wanted to. Hmm. I mean, you know, English lit, they require you to read certain things. And you know, don't knock it. Of course, some of those stories were actually very good, and I became familiar with certain authors, um, but I think the first time I actually picked up a book, because I wanted to, um, mm. and it was actually George Lucas's print adaptation of the first Star Wars movie, and mm. seeing his approach to developing the character Luke Skywalker and just how he describes things in print took me in a whole different direction. Uh, and it made me appreciate the movie a little bit more, but it also gave me some ideas about, you know, I'm always thinking of stuff. I'm always making up things. Uh, and maybe this is something that I should try doing. And I did it for many years when I had spare time. I mean, it has nothing to do with not being in the Navy, but I used a lot of my downtime in the service to try to figure things out. Uh, but it took a long time for me to finally come together with a story that actually turned into a completed work uh, that I could get published in right. uh, Delta Blue. I'm always got, I've always got five, six, ten, twelve ideas going, <laughs> but executing them, getting them down on paper or in a computer file, and organizing them and actually getting them completed has not been easy. Well, first of all, it's different when you're writing a song. You know, you're three and a half minutes, you've trained to sort of be three and a half minutes and out, get to the point get to the hook you know it's different but when you're writing a book uh but with that said your imagination has an opportunity to run a little wilder when you don't have a lot and you don't you know what i mean though though adage that uh you got a stick and uh you spend the whole day with the stick 
play with the stick or something. You know what I mean? Like, you have time to think and dwell. Little, little, little pieces of wood were levers, <laughs> sticks, swords. Yeah. yeah, they were. <laughs> Basically, whatever we wanted them to be when we were kids. And now they can be canes for me and you. I think that that's probably the next chapter. Uh-oh. You and I both growing up like that, there was that side of us that uh, I'm sure in class that, you know, you were there, you know, when you wanted to be. And then a lot of times you were sort of off in space because uh, just like me, you're you and I have uh, been guilty of dreaming a whole lot in our lives and we'll continue to dream. But we didn't know each other when we grew up. Uh, been blessing for sure that I finally got to to get to spend some time with you. No, no we didn't, but uh, it's been a wonderful friendship then. Absolutely. Well, we do have some childlike tendencies, you know, and and maybe not our youthfulness and look, but we, we do I'll act like children. <laughs> hey, hey, Woody, did you have Mr. Howard, Walter Howard, as your principal when you were growing up? A- absolutely. Uh, he was the principal when I was at Coleman. Uh, and in those days, uh, the Coleman was a three-grade school. It was seventh, eighth, and ninth. So we were actually high school freshmen at the junior high school. Right. And uh, Walter Howard was the principal. James Scott, the assistant principal. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Howard's son, Walter, was arguably the greatest athlete from this area, especially in his era, that I think I'd ever seen. He was a dear, dear friend of mine. He was a tennis star. Uh, if he had gotten started two years earlier or three years early, he probably would have been a could have maybe made the tour. You know, he was that good. Uh, he was uh, an incredible basketball star. One game in baseball, five home runs. Uh, he could punt the ball. We it's still coming down. It took forever to come down. Throw it a mile. Well, Just his. See, I don't know all that about him. I yeah. met I met uh, young Walter a few times, and I knew I knew he was pretty good at basketball. Oh. Right? I to see him play the other sports. Listen, when we were juniors, they would run just basically a triangle on him, but he still scored 30-something a game. Once, once he got his leaps on and dunked one time, I, I swear I remember the zone he would go into, and you just watched it in awe because you couldn't stop him. It was, it was unbelievable. He ended up going to Delta State to play on a, a double scholarship tennis and basketball and then fell in love and went on to Mississippi Valley State uh, where he was there. I'm fairly certain he was about a year younger than uh, Jerry Rice, I think. Willie Totten's age. He graduated uh-huh. in that class, high school class of 81. So he was there with them, and they were just ma- major athletes, man. It was insane. But Mr. Howard was somebody I, I always looked up to. Always, always looked up to. And, and I got to tell you, I sort of feared sometimes he was a big oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he, had, he, had, he, he didn't intimidate me. You know, a lot of kids think the principal, especially if he's tall, uh, is this mean person, but I always saw him as, as a real positive energy kind of person. Now, discipline, if, if you were one of those, you know, hell-raising kids, of course, you know, he would deal with you. Right. But uh, I, I think he earned respect by just just being a good leader. Right. I, mean, I appreciated him so much, that's for sure. We're in a Mississippi Minute. Go to visit Mississippi.org. We've got Woodrow Wilkins. We call him Woody. You can call him Woody now because you're a friend of his as well. As we scoot on down a Mississippi Minute, you're in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio as always. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi. 
Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi Minute, I'm Steve Azar. I'm with Woodrow Wilkins, author, actor, just really great guy in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. Go to visit Mississippi.org to find out a whole lot of cool things you can do right here. You know, we've got... Kermit the Frog, we got, you know, the Muppet Museum, the Highway 61 Museum, the Grammy Museum, the B.B. King Museum, so many great things that are right here for you to come check out in our neck of the woods and eat some great food and, and come say hello. You're in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio as always. Woody, let's hop on to the Navy days, hop on the ship. You know, nine years is a pretty dang long time. What got you there and then what ultimately made you come back home? Or called you home? Uh, I stayed that long because I, I, I really did like it. Uh, and uh, I made a decision, though. Uh, my first four years, I met some older guys who were in their late 30s who were close to uh, retirement eligibility. And they got frustrated and, and gave it up after having served 15, 16, 17 years. And me at 20, 21, I'm thinking... I, I, I can't do that. I can't. I can't stay that long and not get the reward. Um, because if if I, if I do twenty, then I'll get out at thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that time, I don't know how difficult it would be transitioning into civilian life. Uh, and I don't know what kind of jobs I would be able to get getting hired at that age. Uh, so I would want. I would want that military retirement. Um, benefit. So, so if I get, so if I'm still serving in my 30s, I'm going to do my darndest to complete the 20, and maybe go beyond. Maybe I'm a lifer. I don't know. Right. But uh, so I, so I decided 10 was going to be my cutoff. If, if, at, if before I reach my 10th anniversary, I'm not happy. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get out while I'm still young. I can start over doing something else. Um, and I, I, I got close. And how it ended up being nine was, uh, you know, I re-enlisted once, and I wanted to re-enlist a second time, but uh, I wanted a certain assignment that we have these uh, uh, personnel we call detailers who are like assignment people. They would look at what the Navy's needs are at a given time, uh, whether it's your skill set or your rank, uh, what opens up when somebody moves on, when somebody transfers or, or, or steps down. Uh, what's available. And he told me something was available, and I said, yeah, I'll take that. And so I planned everything according to that, and then I got a call. Well, the person that I had spoken to wasn't the guy I was supposed to speak to. Mm-hmm. Somebody misled me on that call. Uh, so the actual detailer had been in San Francisco visiting uh, someone else who was reinvesting before headed back to D.C., and I ended up talking to his assistant, and the assistant was the one who gave me this bad information. And mm-hmm. so the detailer said that that was not available for me and he gave me some other options that says no uh, I can't do that so I didn't commit to be enlisting at that time and so what I did was I signed uh, a six-month extension that would keep me in service until something changed and um, nothing changed immediately so I signed another six-month extension which got me to nine years Uh, those last six months things really started to get frustrating uh, with the command where I was. Uh, and at that point, I decided, you know what, I'm just going to let it go. Where were you stationed so, at the time, Woody? 
Naval Air Station, Fallon, Nevada, home of the Desert Admiral. That's just too cool. It's about uh, 70 miles east, southeast of Reno. Look, for me, when I got, you know, decided that we were going to move my family back here, kids born in Nashville, all that, you know, I, I tell my listeners they were 10, 13, and 15, tough times to move your kids. Uh, they were enthusiastic about it, and it really made a big difference in their lives. So I see the result and the impact. But for you, moving back, do you feel like it was a calling? I mean, you could have gone anywhere in the world once you got rid of your sea legs. Why home? Why back in Mississippi? Yeah. Well, have things worked out a little differently? Because actually, when I started thinking in terms of wanting to uh, end my naval career, I was actually looking at the possibility of either staying in the Reno area or moving to Cal- moving back to California. Uh, several years before that, I was stationed in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I and I loved uh, Long Beach and the LA area, uh, and I would love to have gone back. Uh, the only reason I didn't was a not having a job lined up. I probably could have found something, but there was also the issue of moving getting a place to stay, and I just thought that was a little bit more of a hassle than I wanted to deal with at that time. (laughs) But I always knew that I could come back home, uh, stay with my dad for a while, and um, then establish myself. And, you know, if dirge hits me, I can always pull up the stakes and move again. But I knew I could come back here and, you know, get used to being a civilian again. Yeah, man. Yeah, I get it. I mean, it's putting those old shoes back on that you grew up in, just so comfortable. You know, when you come back home, uh, like I did, you know, home felt a lot different. You know what I mean? You go have some success, you get out there, and you come back. Uh, It was a good different for me. I mean, we were, we were men now, you know what I mean? And we, we were, I hope, wiser, and we'd experienced a lot of the world, uh, and blessed to do it. But, man, it just, it, almost felt like we had a purpose i mean now we're at a point where you got to do something about it we got to help and we got to be part of a solution you know i guess because nothing's perfect you know what i mean and we're not going to make it perfect but if we can create morale through the arts like you and i both know is so important for our youth for us all to be moved and entertained Uh, and we have so much art form here and art is your thing so you come back and you do the Delta Democrat Times and you're writing. So tell me about that briefly. Which uh, Delta Democrat Times? Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> it's funny because uh, most people getting into the business actually go to school for it. They study communications mm-hmm. or they study journalism or marketing or something uh, related to the industry. Me, I didn't do any of that. But what happened was I came at a time that it was convenient. Um, I was cheap, uh, <laughs> and uh, the editor was the editor was Ken Kaplan. And honestly, when I was looking for for a job, had the ad said journalist, I'd have gone right by it because I had no experience, no training in that. But it said writer. I assumed that meant somebody who would take stuff and just rewrite it, like ads, press releases, uh, or when some of these syndicated columnists, their stuff was coming in, clean it up, or do, do whatever. 
that's what I thought of it, just a, basically a transcriber. Mm-hmm. I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but actually, uh, he called me into his office uh, for an interview and asked me, you know, what kind of skills that I have. Well, it just so happened that my last assignment in the Navy, I was a, I was a street cop, basically. Uh, military police on the base, patrols, uh, sometimes uh, the initial report on accidents or like a property, uh, a government building had been broken into, you know, talk to, right. talk to who made the complaint, take pictures, and write up a report. And so he says, okay, so what do you do when you do these reports? Well, obviously, you know, the, the, the things that they tell us always, you know, who, what, when, and where. And if you, and if you can get that information, the why and how, that's great. But you get those things. And Ken said to me, he said, well, that's kind of like reporting. Uh, let me give you a writing test, and if you pass, uh, we'll consider you. And so I took the test, and next thing you know, I'm covering the Washington County Board of Supervisors, Greenville <laughs> Police Department, <laughs> and stuff like that. It's game that. time. I love it. I love it. A lot of people go to school, you know, journalism school, and get their major, and here you are. Well, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. First of all, like I said, you're very articulate. Uh, Thank you. you. You know, you are. And so, okay, so you've got this. You got this. Uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. A big part of that was my older sister, uh, Josephine. Uh, she lives in Jackson. But even before I started going to school, uh, she worked with me, teaching me to read. So I had I had an advantage over other kids going in. Right. So that helped a lot. No, no, I know. I, I totally get it. Hey, look, we're going to take a break real quick, and I want to dig into your, your theater, your love for theater, your acting in Strax film, uh, what it was like to be next to Sherman Augustus, who's got a recurring role now in, uh, in the new, thing, uh, new series of Stranger Things. I mean, you guys were locked and glued at the hip. And, you know, like I told you, my son Strax says, Woody is one bad actor. We're with Woodrow Wilkins. Woody, you're in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. You know what that means. And you also know what it means to go to visit Mississippi.org. So many wonderful things to do in our home state. You get to play DJ. We are the birthplace of American music. Would you like to hear into the break, R.L. Burnside or Howlin' Wolf? Was that a question for me? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's okay, ask, ask it again. I was throwing away my Dr. Pepper bottle. You're doing a Dr. Pepper? I love it. All right, well, That's listen, right. you get you get to play DJ. Would you like to hear a little R.L. Burnside or Howlin' Wolf? R.L. That was quick. Woodrow Wilkins. I'm Steve Azar in a Mississippi Minute. We'll be right back. Yeah, I love that woman. People, I love her for myself. Yeah, I don't want to see her loving no one else. The news doesn't sleep, and neither do we. Fox News Radio, late breaking, up to the minute, from around the world, around the clock, here on Super Talk Mississippi. Thousands of Bulldog fans have subscribed to the Thunder and Lightning podcast. Have you? On each episode, Brian Haydad and Joel Coleman give you an inside look at your Mississippi State Bulldogs. The Thunder and Lightning podcast is free and available on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Thunder and Lightning on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thunder and Lightning from Supertalk Mississippi. Covering the Bulldogs like no one else. 
Hey, I'm Billy Kinder, host of Big Billy Kinder Outdoors. You can hear the show Saturday afternoons 1 until 3 right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Gary Klein and Kelly Jordan are our pros from the Bassmaster Elite Series. Mr. Whitetail Larry Wysoon takes care of all of our big game needs. Plus, Tom Dockin and Ronnie Smith will help you build a better bird dog. Not to mention the fact that we just have a whole heck of a lot of fun with a lot of great guests. I hope you'll be a regular. Hey, we'll see you in the camp house this Saturday at 1 on Super Talk Mississippi. It's easier than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more. For news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi, the conversation starts here. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Rolling down a Mississippi Minute. Go to visit Mississippi.org. Museums all over the place. So cool. A lot of great places to play golf, to fish. Uh, the country trail marker, the blues trail marker. So many things to do right here in our great state. All our great culinary wizards, our great chefs out there. Uh, just uh, go to visit Mississippi.org. You're in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. I've got my beautiful pal, Woody. That's what we call him, Woodrow Wilkins. Uh, we are uh, Green Billions. Well, I've been called a lot of things, but never that. There you go. Well, you, it's on this show, you get, you know, it's part of the deal. It's part of the perks. Hey, Woody, so let's go into theater. You're always doing theater here. Um, it's obviously our old Greenville High School, right? Uh, that E.E. Uh, e. Bass are, is there. Yeah. So theater starts there i'm sure you and i want to sort of figure out where you and strack met i know when we moved here he was making films all over the place uh what was your first time to work with him and then from your theater career to working on the film which is going to be really cool just sort of take me through that experience well i'm not sure which came first the chicken or strack (laughs) but uh I was hanging out at the, the, the place you and I run into each other from time to time, uh, the Walnut Street Blues Bar yeah. one evening. Yeah. And uh, Strack and his uh, friend, I've forgotten his name, Michael, is Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, they were in there, and uh, they, were, they were talking to uh, Danny Peoples. And uh, the thing about Strack was I noticed that with his hairstyle being the way it was, my first thought was, I said, that guy looks like a young Dylan. <laughs> he does look like a young Bob Dylan. I know. <laughs> uh, so there was that. But then later on, Benjamin Luckett, a young man I know through uh, right. theater, we've done a few shows together, uh, he called me and told me that they were looking for someone uh, to work with uh, a good friend of mine. Actually, Wade Chambers had that role. Great actor. Great yeah. actor. Uh, oh, yeah. Wade can do whatever. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it makes me mad, though, because it's like, hey, you know, if, if we're competing for the part, he's going to get it. He's it's so like, Come good. Come on, man, sit down once. <laughs> he's so good. <laughs> but I love him. I love him. Yeah. He's a great friend and, and, and one of the best actors I've ever seen because whatever the role is, Wade can do it. I totally agree. Uh, yeah. And uh, so he and I uh, did, did the short film there. Um, and uh, so I was pleasantly surprised uh, when Strat called me and said that he wanted me back for the for the full-length production. I was like, all right. Now, we had some logistical issues with my work schedule and travel, um, and uh, there was some frustration, uh, mainly one of the 
producers because uh, I was I, I gave them heck because yeah. they would give me a schedule right and they'd email me something or something would change. It's like I can't do this because I got to be at work. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But we eventually got through it, and you know the crew. Some of the some of the people who were working with the crew were wonderful. Uh, everybody seemed like a friend, big family, uh, and of course Strack and Michael were awesome. Um, and uh, then I, I got to meet Sherman, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah. well, all right. And uh, yeah, he and I had had kind of a rapport going, and there were just little subtle little things. And uh, I remember that scene that we shot at uh, Jim's Cafe. It was very difficult for me to stay in character because in this scene, my character is supposed to tell Sherman, you know, watch watch what you're eating, you know, you know, diet, health, and all that. Good oh, yeah. Stuff. yeah. <laughs> like, I don't need to be telling anybody how to watch their, their diet. But uh, so I kind of react to something that he orders, and script-wise, there isn't anything. He's talking to the waitress, but... When we were filming it, he just looked at me and go, "Stop!" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, and I just hold it together, Woody. Wait until they say cut, then you can laugh. Yeah, a, <laughs> you you hold a very stern face for a while. I've seen it. Uh, sometimes I'm going like, "Can we got to break Woody a little bit?" You, but you know what? So you think about Sherman. He was latest big role was Into the Badlands, but like he's played in everything from. Uh, from NCIS to Westworld, you know, to Stranger Things now is going to have that recurring role. Murder, She Wrote, The Nanny, Chicago Hope, The Centennial. And he also played in the NFL. He played for the Chargers and the Vikings. So uh, he was in great shape. But you, the one thing that Strat kept coming and telling me, I said, how's it going? He goes, Woody and Sherman have great chemistry together. Like, you know, and most of these guys were from L.A., you know, that came in, you know, that you, you know, we had 20 of them here, you know, from all over. But, you know, they were coming and they had some some help from Memphis and Jackson. And, you know, you get you get your guys. And uh, but, you know, these were the young filmmakers that track a lot of his friends from Chapman University and all that in California. And uh, they actually made my house, my home, the band house. Uh, it was uh, it was a little bit frustrating. I'd have to go to them and sit them down and go, look, whose sock is in the mulch outside? I don't understand. Whose shoe is this? Whose shoe is this in the fire pit area? I mean, did you walk? And, you know, Michael would literally walk himself out of his shoes and his socks. Strack would go, Dad, you don't understand. He's pacing. So every morning I'd get up, and then there were it was, a, it was Animal House on steroids. And i go, look, I, lo- I love you boys. I just want you to know, first of all, I was trying to be a good coach and, you know, not be Bobby Knight. Uh, be the opposite and I was going I just want you to know first of all I love you second of all our home is not you know we it's not a frat house and we got to work on it but it never worked because they and they were here months you know they were in hotels for months you know two months Um, Michael never left I think he's still here actually I'm gonna look around but but I was uh, I knew that what they were making I knew the film you guys were making was pretty special uh, and I really think it's gonna be a big Jolton Strack's career and for all of us so I love the fact that you can mix our talent here because we do have it uh, and and mix it with Hollywood Um, now Hollywood's turning into Atlanta and Canada you can go all over and make movies now obviously you know we have our film incentives here you got Louisiana people you know actors are going to where the work is now so it's going to be interesting to see where Hollywood really ends up 
But uh, it was just great. And, you know, you and I both know the scenic, all the scenery we have here, the cornfields when they're high. And now you guys shot in, you guys shot in the heat of the summer. It's insane. Oh, that was brutal. That was brutal. That day with the wind out on, uh, oh. I think it was uh, Wilcox Road. Woo! <laughs> Listen, they were shooting scenes. They lit up the cornfield. Right, and they were shooting scenes in the middle of the night, and I'm going like, man, all I could think of was snakes. <laughs> That's all. I mean, I'm going like, and they're running through these fields and all that, and I'm going like, oh man, no way. It's a hundred degrees at night, and uh, anyway, you know, they got through it, and uh, I'm proud of them, and it's almost ready to come out. I've seen scenes, and it just looks spectacular. So that's the banality. I'm lo- I'm I'm very excited about that. All right, let's jump into your book, uh, your first novel that you've ever put out, titled Delta Blue. So let me go, because I'm going to give a little synopsis of it. It's a contemporary love story about a black police officer in small Mississippi town who reluctantly enters a relationship with a white prosecutor who recently moved from California. He's haunted by ghosts of past relationship that he had, his own paranoia about how others will react. Ultimately, he must decide to, I think the word is, capitulate correct capitulate there you go i'm with woodrow wilkins we call him woody here in the keep mississippi beautiful studio go to visit mississippi.org so many so many incredible things to do that are right here it's like a big old playground here in mississippi i'm steve azar Hey folks, it's Steve Azar. My friends at Guarantee Bank are excited to introduce contactless debit cards. These contactless debit cards can make checking out quick and easy. The tap and go process is quicker than inserting a chip card and way faster than using cash. How do you get your new contactless card? Well, it'll automatically be mailed to you when your debit card expires or you can contact your local branch. Go to gbtonline.com to find out more. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. Thousands of Bulldog fans have subscribed to the Thunder and Lightning podcast. Have you? On each episode, Brian Haydad and Joel Coleman give you an inside look at your Mississippi State Bulldogs. The Thunder and Lightning podcast is free and available on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Thunder and Lightning on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thunder and Lightning from Supertalk Mississippi. Covering the Bulldogs like no one else. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Sign on the door says down home cooking. With my pal Woodrow Wilkins in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful studio. As always, I love to reside here. Go to visit Mississippi.org to find out what you're going to do this weekend. A whole lot of fun right here on our own stomping grounds. So, Woody, tell me where the inspiration uh, comes from. Was it something that you'd been working on for a long time, or did it just pop out? In uh, 2005, um, I got selected to sit on jury uh, for a murder trial in, in Washington County. It involved uh, a young man who lived in Greenville at the time, and his rival 
uh, who was in Leland, and the shooting happened outside of a neighborhood grocery store in Leland. And, um, you know, uh, being at the newspaper, I just figured I would not be selected. But I was selected, um, maybe because... Uh, at the time that happened, I wasn't. I'd taken some some time away from the, from the paper. Frustration again, and uh, I, I I tried and failed to sell shirts. So I was I was away from the newspaper for a few months, and so uh, I had no no prior knowledge of that case. I didn't have many of the stories that had been done at that time, and uh, so I got to sit in on the jury, and you know, being in that jury box, you know, you see all. All of the evidence you hear, all of the testimony, and the crime itself, uh, and not to trivialize it. I mean, every murder is a tragedy, but there was nothing that really stood out about the crime. But what made it very memorable for me, other than the fact that I was on the jury, was the defense alibi strategy, mm-hmm. wherein there was this parade of people saying that the defendant was was somewhere in Greenville and couldn't have been in Leland at the time of the shooting. Uh, except for the fact that everything that they talked about happened a good half hour before shots were fired, <laughs> uh, which I thought was a major blunder uh, on the part of this, the defense attorney. Uh, we ultimately found the person guilty. Uh, and, you know, while I'm speaking about that, there is a, a group that's trying to have that case looked at again uh, because some mistakes were made, according to them. And best I can tell, they might be right, uh, but right. they still got digging to do. But anyhow, uh, I figured uh, after the trial, you know, I would sit on it for a while, but at some point I would write about the experience. Now, at the time, I wasn't sure what I was going to write. You know, Woody, I'm going to tell you something. Well, you know, a lot of things bring you in the writing room. It's anger. It's sadness. Uh, it's things that are unjust. I mean, when you go through those emotions, uh, when you come out the other side, uh, it's it's sort of what drives the pin. You you know what I'm saying? You had mm-hmm. you have to have these moments to push you to finally do it. So although the moment is unjust and awful, right? And and what gets you there is awful, but you do something with it, and you there's a silver lining that I always talk about, and and you add and, and all of a sudden. There's your hope. There's your, you know, that's what got you to do it. So, uh, I mean, that's what writing's all about. And that's why people are interested in reading or listening to songs and stuff because they come from a place when it's so honest, uh, when it, you know, or, or when some, it doesn't, it, it can be made up. But when what gets you to do it, the actual act that gets you to do it, or maybe it's a series of acts, the bottom line is people feel it. They get it. Uh, so, I mean, you know, you sort of needed it to happen to finally push you to do it, right? Uh, up until then, uh, I was really struggling with, okay, the, the trial is going to be the foundation for this, but what am I going to do when they're not in the courtroom? And I, I struggled with a plot line. My lead character uh, was going to be the detective, but what's he going to do? What kind of relationship issues is he going to have? And really, the first thing that I thought was there was a female cop that he liked, but I really hadn't worked out what kind of conflict could I have between the two of them that would drive the story. But once I decided, wait a minute, what if I made the prosecutor that he works with a woman? Boom! Yeah. (laughs) Woody, Delta Blue, real quick, where did the title come from? I mean, you and I both, we love our blues and we love our Delta, but why Delta Blue? 
Well, uh, it is a crime drama, and a lot of them have blue in the title. That was that series, NYPD Blue, Blue Blood. So that, that, seemed, that seemed like the easy part. But I had to make sure that I didn't put an S on that or people would think it would be about blue. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes people still call it that, uh, uh, but it, it's Delta Blue and Delta. Delta would be the selling point for the region. Anybody in, in, in the area who likes to read fiction uh, might be drawn to that to it by that. Right. And the blue part, of course, like I said, is for the uh, police aspect of it. Right. Well, you put Delta on anything with me and you, and that's a heck of a meal. That's all I got to say. <laughs> Hey Woody, I can't thank you enough time. Uh, thank you enough for spending a Mississippi minute with me. Uh, I'm looking forward to see you My at pleasure. the Walnut Street Blues Bar. You're the best, and uh, Woodrow Wilson in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studio. Check his book out, Delta Blue, and you're going to check him in his very, very. Woody, what do you call it when you're not the lead actor but you're the next one? What is it called? The uh, supporting best supporting, supporting actor, role. supporting, supporting role. Actor. He will be uh, nominated for something there. Uh, who knows? You never know. You know, we've had the help. We've had my dog, Skip. Why not the banality? Why not? Why not? Go to visit Mississippi.org to find out all the cool movies that's been made here and what you're going to do this weekend and tell them I sent you. In a Mississippi Minute, I'm Steve Azar. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. The news doesn't sleep, and neither do we. Fox News Radio, late breaking, up to the minute, from around the world, around the clock, here on Super Talk Mississippi. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.